to turn with me to Luke chapter 23. We're going to begin a series just on uh, Sundays when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to look at the seven, seven last sayings of Christ on the cross. Uh, seven, seven statements that he makes uh, while he's on the cross. And today we're going to look at the first of these and then over the next, the next six months we'll, we'll, Lord willing, look at the rest Luke 23, we're going to read verses 33 and 34. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Someone's last words are often significant. Who doesn't admire Stonewall Jackson's Let us cross over the river and rest under the shade of the trees? Uh, A beautiful sentiment as he was passing away. How much more significant are the last words of our Lord and Savior as he died his purposeful death on the cross? Of course, in his death, Jesus was acting as our great high priest in sacrificing himself for sinners, being a a sacrifice of atonement there on the cross for the sins of the world. So he was a priest, but he was also a prophet while he was on the cross, and instructs us with the words that he spoke there. Now, as I said before, we're going to be looking at these seven last sayings, and today, of course, we're looking at, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So two things I want to point out. First of all, forgiveness is our greatest need, and secondly, ignorance is not an excuse But first, forgiveness is our greatest need. Here, Jesus prays for mercy to be extended to his executioners. He is seeking for them that which they need most, forgiveness. And what is true of them is also true of all mankind. It's true of everyone here. It's true for you. Your greatest need Your primary need is for God's forgiveness. Sometimes, you know, you you think, most people think, oh, that's uh, apparent, of course. But sometimes we uh, forget that, I think. But our greatest need is forgiveness. Forgiveness, an acquittal, a pardon, a cancellation of debt. And when a person breaks the laws of the state, whether it's speeding or... or, uh, murder or anything like that, there's a penalty that is required. We might say that a person who has committed a crime owes a debt to society. Someone who goes to jail is paying their debt to society. Well, spiritually speaking, every human being has broken God's law. And there's a penalty, a debt that must be paid. Justice must be served because God is a just God. And because God is infinitely holy and and good, 
sins against him require an infinite eternal consequence, penalty. And we're all guilty before a holy God. If he does not forgive us, we will owe an eternal debt, an infinite punishment for our rebellion against God. Jesus came to meet that greatest need, the need for forgiveness. He was all about forgiveness. You'll remember that Jesus often uh, healed people, but would say, uh, as well as... uh, Healing people, your faith has saved you. Your, 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 your sins are forgiven. Uh, he would talk about things that were beyond the physical. He was talking about the salvation of the soul, the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, these people were in need of healing, but their greatest need, as Jesus was pointing out, was forgiveness. Now, as Jesus hung on the cross... You have these religious leaders who have conspired to kill him. You've got the, the soldiers who are physically nailing him to the cross. You have the crowds surrounding, mocking and reviling him. Their greatest need was forgiveness. And Jesus intercedes on their behalf. And in so doing, he fulfills the prophecy that we read uh, for our assurance of pardon from Isaiah 53. He bore the sin of many and he makes intercession for the transgressors. As he was bearing the sin of many, he was interceding for those who were transgressing against him. It's a powerful statement that he's making there on on the cross, which ultimately, that activity that he engaged in of dying for sin on the cross, supplied that forgiveness that all who repent and put faith in his work receive from the Lord. Mercy from God. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 states, You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. See, legal demands. We've broken the law and justice has to be served. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The price has been paid. The penalty has been, been met. Now Jesus had the right. He could have called down divine judgment. He could have showered it down upon his tormentors. He could have called for, for retribution at that moment when he's hanging on the cross because he was completely innocent of all wrongdoing. He's the Son of God after all, perfect Son of God. What had he ever done to anyone but good. He, he healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. You know, I love, there's a great hymn that I love. My song is Love Unknown. He makes this point in one of the verses. These are sweet injuries, you know, that, that uh, God, Jesus has committed against these people who are putting to, to him to death. That uh, the only thing he did wrong was healing the sick, Uh, Giving sight to the blind? That's the question the hymn writer asks. What had he ever shown to everyone but love? But yet here we see the wickedness of humanity on display as they crucify the Lord of glory. They certainly deserved a darker, more devastating fate than even the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Yet Jesus asked for forgiveness for them. And the same is true of us. We deserve nothing but His wrath, His ire. Yet He offers us His love and forgiveness. Now that should be a great encouragement to us today. The Lord offers forgiveness to the greatest, most wicked sinners. Many of these people uh, who were surrounding the cross on that day would have been at, uh, in Jerusalem at Pentecost and afterwards when thousands of people heard Peter's preaching and responded to the offer of forgiveness through Christ. That should encourage us that those wicked people who put to death the Son of God are forgiven and received into Christ's family. What an encouragement to us. No one, no one should consider themselves beyond the reach of Christ's mercy. Nor should we consider anyone else beyond the reach of Christ's mercy. Have you experienced that forgiveness today? Or are you living in some persistent sin that you're having trouble giving up? There is forgiveness with Christ. Turn to Him. There is power to change with the Holy Spirit. It's your greatest need. Don't wallow in sin. Don't refuse to to experience His mercy and grace. Why, Why would we? So, forgiveness is on offer, and it is our greatest need. Second point, ignorance is not an excuse. Now, Jesus' reason for seeking their forgiveness in this instance was because they did not know what they were doing, Jesus says. Now, certainly the Roman soldiers were were simply following the orders that they had been given to, to put just another criminal to death. They've got three of them here on this day and they're doing their duty. Uh, Jesus indeed was numbered with the transgressors, as it says in Isaiah 53. But what about the others around the cross that day? Uh, The other uh, people, the the ones who had conspired to have him killed, those who were standing around mocking at him, spitting on him, casting insults at him, These were people who had seen the miracles. They had seen the lame walk. They had seen the blind man healed. They had had heard or seen about Lazarus being raised from the dead and and the many other uh, miracles and signs that Jesus did. In in John's Gospel it says if if you you wrote about all that he did, it would be too much for all the books in the world to contain. These people saw that. Now how could they miss that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. How could Jesus say they didn't know what they were doing? Well, there there are several reasons. But mainly, they misinterpreted and misunderstood the scriptures concerning the Messiah. Paul and uh, Barnabas, when they went to Pisidian Antioch, we looked at it a month or so ago, Acts 13, uh, it's, he, he makes this point about those people. He says, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers 
because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him. So Paul's saying that the people who were living in Jerusalem who saw all that, they, they, they misinterpreted the scriptures. And we see this is true throughout the Gospels. We see a number of occasions where we find people stating their misconceptions about the Messiah. Several examples. Uh, they, they thought that no prophet could come from Galilee. And Jesus was from Galilee. They say the prophet doesn't come from Galilee. Of course, Jesus was from Bethlehem, but they didn't bother to investigate that. They thought the Messiah would never die. There are some passages, early Isaiah, the, the ones we read at Christmas about uh, the Messiah ruling forever. Uh, so they assumed that, that there was no way that the Messiah would die. And here's Jesus dying on the cross. They thought from the scriptures that the Messiah would have mysterious origins, a misreading of, of Micah. But here they knew Jesus' parents. They knew his brothers and sisters. They, they thought they knew all about him. Well, they thought the Messiah would be a, a, a ruler, a king, a political leader, a military leader who would be wealthy and, and have power. But here's Jesus, a poor carpenter with no place to lay his head. And they completely miss Isaiah 53 when all it says about the Messiah suffering and dying for sinners. So see, they were ignorant. Uh, they, did, they misinterpreted the scriptures. And, and ignorance is dangerous for the soul. It's dangerous for your soul. These people were misled by their many teachers. And I want to encourage you not to let the same thing happen to you. Do not just take my word or any other teacher's word for it, but you study the scriptures yourself. Spend time in the word on your own. Examine the word and what it says there because there are false teachers around and there are some well-meaning teachers who fall into uh, bad teaching. So it's important for each one of us to spend time in the word and to know what it says so that we won't be caught in ignorance or believing something that is a misinterpretation. Spend time in the Word, Sunday mornings and during the week, as, which is why I told you about all those opportunities we have during the week to come and study God's Word. Well, thankfully for these people around the cross, Jesus intercedes uh, on their ignorant behalf. And it would seem that the Lord does bring forgiveness to many of them. In, in Acts chapter 3, after uh, the, uh, uh, Paul, uh, Peter and John uh, heal the man, the lame man at the temple, uh, there, there's a lot to do about it and you know, what happened. And Peter stands up and he explains it to him and he says it's by the power of Christ. He's the one that did this. It wasn't just us, but it's Jesus, the one whom you put to death, the one you killed, the author of life. And he goes on to say, and now, and say, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. So he's making the same point that Jesus is making on the cross. You were ignorant of these facts, 
But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. They weren't ignorant anymore. They knew the truth of what Christ had come to do, and it says there that many who heard believed. So Jesus' prayer that they would receive forgiveness was answered, many of them would have been there at the cross. Now, today, there is no more pleading ignorance. Remember what Paul told the Athenians a couple of weeks ago in our study of, of Acts 17? He tells them, in, in reference to their idolatrous paganism, their rejection of the one true and living God, he says, the times of ignorance God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, there's pardon. Pardon for sin on offer to even God's enemies. There's forgiveness for sin through Christ for the most wicked. No one here can claim ignorance of these facts. If you didn't know it before, I've just told you. So, you've been told. If we do not turn from wallowing in our own sin, then your blood is on your own head. The call that the Lord gives us is to repent of what we have been and done against the Lord and come to Him willing to be reconciled. If we, would, if we do that... We will find mercy, forgiveness, a canceling of all of our debts, freedom from sin and death. John Flavel echoes this, this warning. I've given the quote to you in the bulletin. This lays the blood of every man that perishes in his enmity to Christ at his own door and vindicates the righteousness of God in the severest strokes of wrath upon them. This also will be a cutting thought to their hearts eternally. I might once have had pardon, and I refused it. The gospel trumpet sounded a parley. Fair and gracious terms were offered, but I rejected them. Let us all take hold of the mercy of forgiveness on offer from the Lord. Repent of our sin and submit to Him as our Lord. And we will know the blessedness of His forgiveness. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's the greatest thing that we, we can have is the forgiveness of the Lord. It's on offer. Look to Christ for it. As we come to the table today, we do it in remembrance of Christ. We remember His broken body and His blood which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. May it melt our hearts 
and cause us to love and thank the Lord all the more for this indescribable gift. And one more thing, as we experience His forgiveness uh, and, and remember how much we have been forgiven, may we forgive others and drop our grudges against them. We prayed earlier, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We see Christ forgiving the most wicked. He's forgiven you if you've repented and turned to Him. How can we dare hold on to the sins of others? Jesus told Peter and the disciples to forgive the person who sins against you, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. And even while Jesus was hanging on the cross, He practiced what He preached. He forgave those who were sinning against Him. And we're not better than Him. As Paul says in Colossians, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would forgive us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see our sinfulness Help us to see the danger of sin and ignoring it. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to be granted repentance. To, to, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, change our hearts. Give us a hatred for our sins, especially those sins that so easily trip us up. Lord, help us to stand strong. We pray that you would give us grace to change. And Lord, may we know the blessedness that comes from being forgiven by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.